When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. The start of the Premier League season is edging ever closer and here on FSD we are gearing up for the big return of footballing normality. Three and a half weeks left before the first ball is kicked but in the meantime there's still plenty going on. Pre-season action and the transfer rumour mill is in full swing. On today's show we're going to be looking back at Eric Ten Hag's winning debut as Manchester United boss. A 4-0 smash and grab win over Liverpool. Liverpool in the Bangkok Century Cup. Not quite a big win at Anfield, but a step in the right direction for Ten Hag and for United. In part two, we'll be checking in in the latest at the Etihad and at Elland Road. Manchester City do appear to have wrapped up their summer business, but Leeds are preparing for life after Rafinha. And then to wrap it up, we'll be back in Manchester or maybe more accurately in Barcelona. Manchester United are making one final push to secure Frankie de Jong this week. The deal is into its final crucial phase, but the Dutchman is staying put in Barcelona as it stands. So all that to come on today's podcast. My name's Fergal Brennan and joining me to talk glowingly about the Bangkok Century Cup, we have someone who I think is going to be about as enthusiastic as Jurgen Klopp was about it last night and that is Marley Anderson. Marley, Bangkok Century Cup, great stuff. Good morning. Yeah, the uh, the Bangkok Century Cup is the one that you grow up dreaming of as a kid, isn't it? You know, you get into football, dreaming to uh, to lift a trophy, which looks a bit like a a ten year old's birthday cake that's been got from the local uh, the local bakery. But hey, if if you've got nothing else to win, win that, win what you can. Indeed, uh, and at least for the next week, Manchester United players can say, show us your medals and they will be out in front. Uh, alongside Marley today, Rafinha might be on his way out, but Ian Brannan is, as always, marching on together. Ian, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's all fine. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Nothing to see here at all. Well, we're going to get stuck into Rafinha a little bit later on, but we are going back to the Bangkok Century Cup from last night, Marley. 4-0 for United, and in effect, it was pretty much wrapped up by half-time. United 3-0 in front at the break. This was a mad game, and we're kind of joking about it, and obviously you throw the disclaimer of it's only pre-season in. This kind of took on another level of nonsense. Um, Both teams made massive changes at half-time. We saw a ridiculous amount of players taking the field. Nobody really played more than 40, 45 minutes. And even the two managers, Eric Ten Hag won his first win as United boss. He said, let's not overestimate this. Um, We've had three teams basically playing for us. Liverpool have made lots of changes. And then Jurgen Klopp went even further and said it makes no sense to analyse this performance. The game's come too early. So we don't want to discard this and just throw it away completely. So from a United perspective, things have been so negative for 
weeks, months, years, potentially, if you want to go that far back. Any positivity is good positivity. And this is a winning start for Ten Hag. We're starting to see some of his methods coming in. And United look look at least solid to start the season. Yeah, it was it was a good start. Um, nothing really more than that. I think if you looked at the lineup, it was very the two lineups at the start of the game. It was very sort of reflective of where the clubs are. Like Ten Hag needs to find his his strongest team quickly and the best system. So he he, he started what he thought was was that system. You know, with um, Rashford on the left, Martial up front, Sancho on the right, um, Bruno Fernandes in the number ten position. And uh, and went from there. Whereas Liverpool, you know, Klopp knows exactly what his best team is. Um, he knows how he's going to play in the summer, and it's about getting uh, getting the players fit and and blooding in uh, a couple of kids who who can stand in for or, or potentially stand in for like uh, more established players. I think if you look at their their lineup, it was full of full of teenagers we've we've never really heard of to be fair if you're not a liverpool fan you would never have seen these names before um and they played like that i think martial's goal some summed it up with when he just literally ran up and and tackled the center back and the center back was probably used to playing under 18s under under 23s games um and you just don't get that much time in in not in not in elite football because it's it's a preseason game, but against players that play at the top, you know, Marshall's not going to give you too many chances um, to stand on the ball for five seconds and and mess about looking for a pass into midfield or across the back line. He's he's going to press you because he's got something to prove as well. Um, and you've seen that all over Man United's team. I thought they 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 all played with a bit of a point to prove. They're all they all know that their places are, are up for grabs. Um, because, you know, as I sort of alluded to before, Ten Hag doesn't yet know his best team and the only way to find out your best team is to play uh, is sort of trial and error. So if you don't step up and, and be counted in pre-season, even if it's just a a little, uh, you know, Bangkok Cup in, in front of, you know, fans who uh, who don't get to see you that much, it's it's still a performance that needs to be, uh, needs to set a benchmark and uh, and to be improved on in the, in the next uh, month or so. Ian, United now fly off to Australia and they've got five warm-up games before the season kicks off. Melbourne victory, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Atletico Madrid and Rayo Baiacano back in Manchester before they start the season against Brighton. And yes, we keep going back to this point of it is only pre-season and this was a bizarre game out in Bangkok. Four goals and a win is, is the big talking point for United at the end of it. But Marley kind of nailed it there that there's so many players playing with a point to prove and, and playing for their place at Manchester United. Eric Ten Hag's been, he's gone into the club like a dose of salt. He's been very, very sharp. He's not going to mess around. He wants to change everything. He wants to change the culture and he wants to change the mentality. Those players that are hanging on to their United place, what do they need to do in the next month to make sure that if Eric Ten Hag is shipping players out in the next few weeks, that they're not part of that, that they might not be a regular starter for United next season, but they're at least in his first team plans. I think it's about what happens, not so much necessarily in the matches, but more about what happens away from the cameras, the, the stuff that we don't see, how they are in training, how they are around the rest of the team, whether being idiots in the hotel, letting off fire extinguishers, whatever it is they're doing. You know, I, I think it. I th- I think it's more about how the team are getting on away from the public eye. That, that will be the key thing. I think if you anybody who tries to draw a conclusion from a novelty pre-season 
money making friendly is is an idiot because the you know people do get hung up on the results and they'll go oh look how we did in pre-season and how often do you see that it all falls apart these games to players mean absolutely nothing absolutely nothing at all it's Bruno just... Fernandez's face while he was holding the trophy demonstrated yeah. that perfectly thinking I'd, I'd much rather be at Sandy Lane in Barbados right now like all my other friends are uh, rather than here you know it, it means nothing the match they're just a waste of time apart from money that's all they're there for just to sell shirts purely it look at it for what it is don't try and read between lines and I've already seen fans going oh look how we've you know look how good we're doing we've beaten Liverpool already it means bog all right and what is important is what's going on away from the public gaze and and you know how players are sort of impressing themselves upon the the manager in training and things like that which we don't know because we're not there and we won't see um so yeah don't draw anything from this uh, but yeah I, I don't think it's a I say the result is just pointless the match the match itself is pointless but it is still you know it's 13th of July it's early pre-season um but yeah there will be some players in there that are trying to make sure they don't get ditched but I think if they're still there at this point and they're on a they're on a an expensive pre-season tour and I know we're going to talk about Leeds soon but Leeds haven't taken the players that won't be that they don't expect to be part of the team next year so I'm sure that the players that are actually on that plane must have a future just quickly, Marley, I want to look at Liverpool before we take a break. They're in an almost identical situation to Manchester United. Five pre-season games, one of them being the Community Shield against Manchester City, Crystal Palace, Leipzig, Salzburg, and then Strasbourg is their final pre-season game. And Jurgen Klopp acknowledged it after the match that they are behind United in their pre-season preparations, whether that's the fact they've had more players on international duty, so they've got a longer summer break. Obviously, the situation with Salah and the contract extension, Sadio Mane leaving, Darwin Nunez coming in, etc. They they didn't look as sharp as United yesterday in, in Bangkok in this game because they're not. They're, they are a couple of weeks behind. We know that Liverpool are a better side than Manchester United. All of the positivity surrounding Ten Hag is going to take time to bed in. But Liverpool will look at this. They won't lose any sleep over losing it. But they do need to sharpen up and get into a bit of a flow. Because as we said at the, the top of the show, the first game of the Premier League season is three and a half weeks away. And they did look a bit blunt, particularly in the first half. Yeah, I, I think with... Um... I think Klopp played like three separate elevens in the match. I think he he, he made ten subs uh, uh, after every half hour of the match. So on thirty sixty, uh, thirty forty five and sixty minutes, I think it was something like that. But I would have, I'd like, as I said before, I understand why he did it. But I would have expected at least one of those elevens to be a lot stronger than it was. Probably the starting one to try and give you some sort of start, uh, foothold in the match, especially when you're seeing the Man United lineup. And it was basically, you know, if that if that Man United side turned out uh, on the Premier League opening day, you wouldn't be surprised at all. Whereas Liverpool's was was very different. I know, it, I know as you say, and, and you're right, it, it, it doesn't matter this game at all. But I did, I did expect sort of... The, the 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 senior pros and the the first choice eleven until half time and then you put the kids on and you put you know Fabio Carvalho comes on and and uh, you know Tyler Morton and Cade Gordon or whoever comes on like you know make it a bit weaker from there on but 
you know, it's it's Klopp's decision, and you know, we we know he loves a moan, doesn't he? He loves a moan about too many games and being tired. So maybe he's just getting his, uh, maybe he's getting a, getting one in early in this uh, in this season. Maybe he is, and some things, as Marley says, never really change. Jurgen Klopp unhappy about the amount of games that Liverpool are playing. Great, and I can't wait for more of it next season. Right, we're going to have a little break here. After the break, we're switching focus to transfers. Manchester City have done some big business this summer, but Leeds are about to lose another big name. However, there is two sides of the coin, and Ian is going to be talking about some of the new faces at Elland Road next season. All that to come in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, during pre-season, we are down to three podcasts a week, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, all gearing up to the season, kicking back into action next month, where we'll be going back to our daily schedule of a Premier League podcast. So let's get back into it and transfers on the agenda. Marley, going to go to you first on this one as our de facto Manchester City correspondent. (laughs) City look to have wrapped up their business already. Erling Haaland, Julian Alvarez and Calvin Phillips all through the door. Squad bolstered. Rodri's just signed a brand new contract extension. He's there now until 2026. Did a big speech yesterday saying he's hungry for more. Obviously talking about the Premier League, the Champions League. City, they they look ready to go again. And Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, we mentioned before the break with Liverpool, are operating on... Let's get the business done. Let's get the big signings through the door so they get five, six weeks of pre-season. We don't want to be chasing names through August until the window closes. We want to get it done. We want to be ready and ready to go. Given the fact that they have brought in these players, Haaland was obviously objective number one. Is this the end of City's business between now and the start of the season? Um, I would say, uh, providing nobody leaves, then yeah, but... I can see somebody leaving, whether it's Ake or, or Zinchenko have been quite heavily linked with moves away, if you if you believe what's in the papers and uh, and around the sort of football world. I think uh, Chelsea are fancying Ake and, and he sort of is tempted by the move as well. So I think if they, if they sold him, I think they've got to... Well, I think they owe it on themselves to go and get another, another defender because um, I think three... Three centre backs isn't enough. Stones, uh, Laporte, and Diaz. You know they've all had their injuries in in recent years, and there are times in the season where you need a fourth centre back. Um, when you're playing twice a week, when you're trying to compete on every on every front, like Man City do. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think if, if Zinchenko left, you know, there's talk about Cucurella, isn't there from um, from Brighton? But I can see that one not really working out. I can see Zinchenko staying because. I think he's pretty happy in in Manchester, and he, yeah, he, you know, he'd like to play more games. But I think he he will play enough games to keep him to keep him happy. So um, I can see that that being it really for Man City, unless something unless something big changes. I think their big outlays were were Haaland, Phillips, and and Alvarez, and you know they've had Alvarez wrapped up for a few months now, and. Uh, it does leave them like losing Sterling if if that goes through in in the next coming days. That does leave them a little bit lighter on the wings. But if you look at the amount of games Jack Grealish started last season, if you can say 
you know, you're going to start a few more this season. When Raheem leaves, then I think everyone's happy with that. They've still got plenty of options, you know, Foden, uh, Sterling, uh, Foden, Mares, you know, Grealish. I think Alvarez can can play from from one of the wings as well, uh, if if uh, if that's right. And uh, you've got Cole Palmer and people like that coming coming through. So, you know, they're, they're not exactly. <laughs> You know, ringing around for subs on the, on a late on a Saturday afternoon, they've got plenty of options there. They're, they're still <laughs> going to be incredibly strong. And Guardiola's not sending the text out. You know, does any, does anyone yeah. know anyone who can pop down to you yeah, know, help must us have out? at a good level. Bring your own boots. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's not quite panic stations yet. So I think City are fine and and they've done good business. Uh, looking at the other side of this, Calvin Phillips, uh, Ian, is obviously one of the names that has left Leeds to join Manchester City. Rafinha, we now know, is pretty much done. Um, Jesse March was speaking from Australia this morning as part of their pre-season tour, and he said, I'm hopeful to get this deal done as soon as possible. I know it's his dream to be- play for Barcelona. There's been significant moves in the last 24 hours, and we expect the deal to be done very, very soon. I'm going to ask about some of the new faces at Leeds in a minute, but before I get into that, I just want to get your take on Rafinha because he did play an enormous role at the back end of last season to keep Leeds in the Premier League. And he has that kind of swashbuckling style about him that he's very skillful. He can create something out of nothing. He can get a goal. He can he can do something that arguably no other Leeds player can do in that team. And that proved valuable in the final few months of the season. Does that leave you with the impression that he's he's done his bit He's kept his side of the bargain. He kept Leeds in the Premier League. We wish him well. He goes to Barcelona. It's what he wants. Marsha said that himself. And Leeds just move on into next season. Yeah, I think everybody um, really knew that probably this was coming, that Rafinha, obviously, he's he's caught the eye since he signed for Leeds. He, he signed for Leeds, remember, for £17 million on transfer deadline day a couple of years ago. And since then, you know, he's been a great player, but he is just but one player. He hasn't played every single match. He hasn't had terrific performances every single time. He has delivered at the moment that Leeds needed it. Definitely, and is probably a, a key reason why Leeds survived last year. It wasn't, uh, you know, Leeds's problem last year wasn't overall the team. Leeds's problem last year was that they spent most of the season playing a without a striker at all, and for a good proportion of the year without Calvin Phillips, without the likes of Rafinha, who was also out injured for a period, without many of their first choice squad. It was really. You know, there was about a third, a quarter of the first choice squad, uh, huge swathes of the team uh, of the season. And I think any team that's playing with only a quarter of their first choice squad available would not deliver uh, as good a performance as they would if they had their full starting lineup. So, with that in mind, the the uh, what shall we say the narrative, if you like, uh, Barcelona have been in his ear ever since he broke through into the Brazilian national side, which he wasn't in when he first joined Leeds, and his performances at Leeds have put him on the on the stage, and now he is a Brazil regular. Simple as that. Fantastic for him. He's got his eye on the World Cup. He wants to play for his boyhood idol club. You know, he grew up in a flavela in Brazil, 
proper backstreet story like so many other Brazilian legends in the past, and he fancies his chances of being one. And what would you do? <laughs> Barcelona have knocked on your door saying, we want you to come and play for us, son. And uh, the only problem with it was that Barcelona didn't want to actually pay the money. And, and that was the main issue. They've long agreed personal terms with Rafinha, so he's been... I don't know, and you're not supposed to do it in this day and age, but he's kind of been... Uh, his agent's been in his tapped ear. Up. Um, tapped up. yeah. That's it, yeah, tapped up. Um, his agent's been in his ear. His agent's Deco, that Deco, and... Um, They've, you know, these stories have been around that Rafinha has agreed personal terms with Barcelona. It's like <laughs> Leeds United are going. This is the first we've heard of it, um, and so and there's always been this thing there that he was he was all set on going to Barcelona, but Barcelona was sort of Leeds had a value of about sixty million, and Barcelona wanted to pay about thirty five, and that would have been even less had Leeds got relegated. Uh, as it is, Leeds didn't get relegated. They could hold out for the full fee. Um, Chelsea put a bid in for £60 million, which Leeds accepted, um, which then really forced Barcelona into a corner because Leeds were like, well, either we keep him, he goes to Chelsea, or you pay the money. And that's how it's panned out. And they haven't quite got to that value, but at the same time, they don't want an unhappy Rafinha on their hands, costing them sixty grand a week. So he can go off and be Barcelona's, uh, you know, um, uh, cost. And um, uh, you know, it's all sorted. And Leeds will invest that in some decent players. So it's, it's you know, we probably get more than one player for that. Seventeen million selling for sixty-ish. It's not a bad swap. No, no, not at all. And I think, to be honest, that's what's slowing up the deal. I listened to, to Monday's podcast with Jim and he basically said that Barcelona were trying to go for a, a Spotify voucher and a, and a whisper gold to get the deal done. So it's going to take a little <laughs> bit longer to get yeah, it over yeah. the line just because Barcelona are putting their hand down the back of the couch and trying to find money. But yeah. it looks as if it is done. Well, that's always the thing, yeah. Leeds want them as much money as possible up front and that's that's why it's taking yeah. so long. Yeah. And as you say, when the money eventually does drop into the account, Leeds will look to strengthen. But they have already strengthened they brought in six new players and Jesse March is looking to put his stamp on Leeds going into next season three of those players that have come in he's worked with before Brendan Aronson Rasmus Christensen and Tyler Adams Mark Rockers coming from Bayern Munich Darko Giabi's come as part of the deal that took Calvin Phillips to Manchester City and then Luis Sinistera from Feyenoord this is the bulk of a new team Leeds have lost two really important players in Phillips and Rafinha but Inevitably, we have to look to the future. We have to look to next season. Phillips is gone. Rafinha's almost gone. When you look at those names and the connection that they do have with Jesse March, are you confident that maybe when all the dust settles and the season starts, Leeds may come out of this stronger because they've now got a team and crucially, they've got a team that the manager wants going into next season? Yeah, and I think there's still going to be a couple more arrivals. Um, but Leeds have spent £95 million in this transfer window, which is quite a lot. Um, and I think they're good signings. Um, as I say, there's there's going to be the Rafinha, a bit of the Rafinha money to be reinvested. Um, the problem with Leeds was, and has been for the last few seasons, is that everything revolved around Calvin Phillips. And if Calvin Phillips wasn't fit, everything went to pot. And similarly with Rafinha, you know, it's like we've got this one guy or these two guys and everything goes through them. So now what seems to be happening is that um, everything's a bit more spread out. 
pretty much a new midfield and some of the signings are, are terrific Brendan Aronson uh, is a uh, an American national team regular come from Red Bull Salzburg Jesse March knows him well um, an attacking midfielder spent nearly 30 million quid on him and um, he you know comes highly highly regarded similarly uh, Luis Sinistera, who they signed last week from Feyenoord. A lot of pundits who watch the um, Eredivisie uh, say that he was the best player in Holland last year. Um, consistently good, easily a replacement for Rafinha in himself, uh, and yeah, could be a, a sensation. They've got a big sell-on clause with him, so I think that the general feeling is, and he's a Colombian international already, he's 23 years old, and there's a feeling that Luis Sinistera could be heading in a similar direction as Rafinha later on in his career. Uh, Tyler Adams um, got a lot. It's got some Champions League experience with with RB Leipzig. They tried to get him earlier in the season, as with Rasmus Christiansen from Salzburg. So there's a big Red Bull feel about it. Mark Rocker from Bayern Munich, and people will say, "Well, he didn't really play very much." But again, I think he has some injury problems. But when he did play, he's he's contributed big performances. He's got Champions League experience as well. So you know, these are all experienced players on the whole, apart from Giabi from from Man City, who's a a huge prospect for the future. I mean, an 18-year-old who's worth five million quid, um, and effectively, Leeds have got an entire new midfield. They just really need to get a, 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 a marquee signing striker because they can't rely on Patrick Bamford again. Because you know, if we have another season like last season, it's not going to end well. But um, get get a good solid striker in, and I think most Leeds fans will actually be pretty happy with that. Yes, Phillips is out and Rafinha is out, but they'll have they'll have got six or seven you know, solid, experienced players that that should do pretty well. And, um, yeah, I, I think based on, you know, it's very early yet. I mean, I was saying before, you can't really take anything from pre-season, but the general feeling, I think, is fairly positive. And, and on top of that, yes, these are new signings, but they're not new signings to Jesse Marsh. You know, these are, these are his go-to absolute solids that he's worked with in his career in the past so he's sort of building in, in a way a bit of a, a fantasy team of his based on players he's worked with in the past at, through the Red Bull um, system Ian I've, I actually think you've you've done you've, you've timed this really right I think Leeds because as much as Calvin Phillips was very very important to Leeds he was very very important to Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds and he was he was key in that system so everyone knew what a good player he was and Man City got attracted into buying, buying him for 50 million quid. But, you know, um, Jesse Marsh came in and, and how many games did he play with Phillips? Probably probably less than 10. Not many because he, yeah, he wasn't fit either. And, so, yeah. so he's gone and went, right, I'm going to get Tyler Adams who I've worked with at two different clubs. And I think Mark Rocker is the is the understated one of the, of the signings, I think. As a deep lying sort of passer, mm. he's, he's similar to Phillips, left footed, but you know, slightly similar role in, in midfield. I think he'll be uh, the one that drives you forward. I think uh, he'll, he'll be a, a very smart little signing for, for Red Bull Yorkshire. I <laughs> know, this is it. Well, these, these have been rumoured to be getting bought out by Red Bull years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, but, but you look at the Red Bull sides, they're always there or thereabouts. They're, yes, they don't go winning European tournaments and so on, but they've always got a, a good, solid, consistent um, sort of 
I don't call it brand of football, but that's that's kind of what they do. Um, and I think you know for the for the Premiership, these are all solid players. Who yes, Leeds might not be winning titles, might not be qualifying for the Champions League, but that's not the aim. Mid-table obscurity would would be great this season. You know, just just plodding along, destroying a few people here and there, but you know, just not getting battered week in week out like what happened with Bielsa. It was all Bielsa was great if you if you if it all clicked. If you're winning, but if it didn't yeah. click you took some absolute hidings and I can see why um, Phillips would go to Man City um, you know obviously I think Man United were interested and that was never going to happen um, but nobody at Leeds has got really a problem with him going to Man City uh, you know the, the the relationship between Bielsa and Guardiola is, is well known and probably it fits what he's used to you know he's, he's grown up under the Bielsa sort of system and, and to move to, to to Guardiola at Man City is you know it's, it's kind of the next thing really um, and and for Rafinha you know, how can you there's no point having Rafinha in your side if he wants to play for Barcelona it's his dream and Barcelona have, have offered him a, a spot and they want to take him then you get him out because he's just going to be an, a bit of a negative influence having him around so you you know Leeds Leeds' entire transfer window um, has can be paid for by with what, what, the selling Phillips and Rafinha so they've to, they've sold two players and got six solid ones and I think that's that that's that balance is is what Leeds have been missing because everything has been a bit sort of top heavy with you know based on on two or three players which they've missed when they haven't been there Phillips Rafinha and Bamford and they've not been in the sides and you take a hide in whereas now you've got what um five six midfielders that have joined uh, maybe they need another goalkeeper maybe they need another striker well then they definitely need another striker and a new striker will be coming apparently but um apart from that the future is bright a lot for, uh, solid, yeah. for Real, uh, Red Bull Yorkshire. Yeah, well, it's not, it's not, um, it's not a panic, you know. And you see all these, you see all these fans going who know nothing about what's already happened, saying, "Oh well, you know, now Rafinha and Phillips are gone, Leeds are doomed," as if they haven't actually noticed that Leeds have signed six players in return. So yeah, I think it's more solid, it gives more options, and Leeds' squad was too small before, um, and so. Yeah, uh, I think let's uh, let's go in with uh, pre-season optimism, everybody. Exactly, exactly. Uh, right, we're going to move on and we're going to take a quick break. Rafinha, why are you leaving? The future is bright at Red Bull Yorkshire. I'll say one thing before we take a break. Yeah. Red Bull, you'll never replace Yorkshire tea. No matter how slick your branding is, you'll never replace <laughs> Yorkshire tea for uh, for Leeds and for Leeds United fans. Right, we are going to grab... I'd, I'd like to see sponsored uh, sponsored Yorkshire tea athletes in, like, Formula One <laughs> or whatever, you know, extreme sports. Uh, here, come the, uh, here come these two guys. They're sponsored by Yorkshire tea. Yeah, it's supped. That's, that, could be the, that could be the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the line to go with it. Right, we are going to grab a break. After the break, we're flicking back to Manchester United and Frankie de Jong. Manchester United pushing hard to get a deal done but our sources are telling us if it's not done this week then there will be no de Jong in Manchester next season all that to come after the break football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode 
Welcome back to the midweek edition of the Football Social Daily. To wrap up today's show, we are back on Manchester United, Mali. United are pushing and pushing and pushing to get Frankie de Jong to Old Trafford this summer. Richard Arnold's put down his pint in the pub, he's got on a plane, he's got himself to Barcelona and they are trying everything they can to get this deal done. Now, as it stands, there's a bit of a deadlock. Frankie de Jong is owed wages by Barcelona that he deferred during the COVID-19 pandemic. He's got a new contract that automatically kicks in that would see his wages go up. Barcelona president Joan Laporta has said, we want you to stay, but you need to take a pay cut to stay here. Manchester United are offering him the same wages, but in a transfer that he is clearly not convinced by. For me, something about this deal just doesn't seem right. And it might sound a little bit straightforward, but you shouldn't be throwing everything at a player that doesn't want to play for your club. Yeah, it's a tough one, this. Um, because as much as he obviously would rather play for Barcelona, I, I, ju- I do think it is he'd rather play for Barcelona rather than he doesn't want to play for Man United. I think he he has every right to feel... Uh, you know, aggrieved by how things have gone by uh, at Barcelona, and I think he also knows that if everything was fine was fine on a financial front, he would be in the team, and there'd be no um, there'd be no rumours of him leaving, and he wouldn't have to think about his future too much. But I think Man United have played this in a way where they've gone look look at the look at the evidence here. You're owed. You know, reportedly owed seventeen million pound in in deferred wages, which the club haven't paid you. Do you want to stay with that? Because if you don't want to stay with that, we've got the um the the means to pay you. You know, we've just got Paul Pogba's wages off the book, which was apparently around three hundred and fifty four hundred grand a week. Um, so you've got the bu- you've got the money there to pay for someone like Frankie De Jong, and you've got money in the coffers to to cough up a transfer fee as well. So I think um. I don't think he, he doesn't want to play for Man United. I just think he'd rather play for, for Barcelona and he's a bit you know, confused about the whole situation of how it came to this because a club as big as Barcelona being run you know, financially like they are is is ridiculous. Um, and then as well, Rafinha and, and Lewandowski are supposedly you know, close to signing for Barcelona and, and Frankie... On their way. Yeah, and Frankie de Jong's probably there going, well, hang on a minute, how are they going to pay them and they're not paying me? Like, I think Man United are positioning themselves to just be there when when the, the, the final straw breaks the camel's back and Frankie goes, well, actually, these lot are a bunch of clowns. Let's uh, let's look after myself. Um, so I think... I think uh, it could end up like like that, and as well with the Rafinha deal apparently going through, you would you would maybe look into that and think, okay, maybe Frankie De Jong is going to leave because, you know, how would they get the money for Rafinha if something else wasn't moving, some other part wasn't moving elsewhere, and and maybe that could be Frankie De Jong, and that's where they're getting the Rafinha money from. Ian, I just want to get your take on this quickly before we wrap up. Eric Ten Hag's been very firm over Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not leaving. Forget the rumours, forget the links to Chelsea or Bayern Munich. He's staying. This is a very different situation because if United get the deal done, they're potentially signing a player that's not overly convinced. If they, at the end of the week, walk away from this, 
they might look strong because they've you know stuck to this idea of this is our line we're not going across it but because they've thrown so much into the De Jong basket so many De Jong eggs into that basket if they don't come back from Barcelona with him almost in a hostage situation then they'll look weak this is a very difficult situation for them to manage right at the point where they're trying everything they can to change Manchester United yeah, but, you know, as we were saying with the Rafinha thing, the difference there is that, you know, Rafinha wants to go to Barcelona uh, and Barcelona are kind of struggling for the cash, whereas Manchester United, um, I mean, I think with, with, with Rafinha, they, they, the personal terms were, were sort of done and so it makes everything a lot easier. You can't force a player to go to a club he doesn't want to go to. It's not the, you're not in a slave trade anymore where you can sort of give somebody a bag of money and say, you're coming with me. It's not how it works and, and and we saw that with Rafinha turning down Chelsea Chelsea offered more money he doesn't want to go there he wants to go to play for Barcelona if a player wants to play for Barcelona you can see the whole thing you know that <laughs> shockingly maybe Barcelona have got a bit more um, I don't know pizzazz about them than Manchester United these days despite the fact that they're on their backsides financially it's you know it's still Barcelona and uh, if he wants to um, carry on there or you know Manchester United can't have done this in the past and maybe we're seeing um, maybe a price of their recent form over the last, and I say recent form, it's what, 10 years? It's kind of gone on now. Maybe we're seeing the price of that, um, shall we say, management of the club. That Manchester United used to be able to walk into a room and say, hey, we're Man United, come with us. And people would do that. But Man United, you know, they're not winning stuff. And so, why why would a player want to go there? Well, they've just won the Bangkok Bangkok oh, well, Century Cup. Yeah. I mean, there is that, but you see that that tournament has happened now for this year, and so put some respect his name on the name. on the trophy. So, uh, yeah, Man, Man United. Uh, I just think in the world stage in within footballers, and bear in mind some of these footballers are still young lads. You know, they don't remember Man United when they used to win stuff. Man United have gone too long with only winning like the FA Cup and stuff like that. You know, they, they, they're not winning the big stuff. And by, by big stuff, I mean, you know, European championships and, and really performing and getting to regular finals in the Champions League, which is obviously something they're not going to be able to do. So it's, um, yeah, major, major price to pay. And, and it puts you in a different bracket for players who, who have bigger ambitions that Man United at the moment can't support. Yeah, I think we'll all have to eat our words if Frankie de Jong signs for Manchester United and he quotes the Bangkok Century Cup in his first press conference. We will all look like fools. Right, we're going to wrap it up for today's podcast. We'll be back on Friday as part of our reduced podcast schedule. Ian, Marley, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Great stuff, guys. As always, don't forget to hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to a brand new episode as soon as it is ready. The Premier League is almost back, but the Bangkok the Bangkok Century Cup is wrapped up. Manchester United are the champions. They are back in business. Thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. <laughs>